This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. Welcome to High Stakes, I'm David Schifrin. Today we're gonna hear from Carrie Lykin, the head of industry for healthcare at Yext, a technology company that helps organizations manage their brands online. For healthcare providers, that means helping them create, manage, and analyze information so it will show up to the right patients at the right time. According to Yext, most patients search for information about a doctor or provider online, but only a few look at the provider's website before scheduling an appointment. That means that healthcare marketers need to ensure that properties across the web, not just their own site, are in good shape. So here, in this conversation, Carrie talks to Reed Smith about a few key points that healthcare marketers and digital strategists should keep in mind. My favorite note, the one that surprised me the most, it comes towards the beginning when Carrie talks about the Upside Down website. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the High Stakes Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. All right, so uh, search has changed, obviously, the way people get information over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for our website? Because I've heard you talk about the website homepage, and I know as a guy that's created a lot of websites, <laughs> we show people a lot of homepage designs. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not really, because and we see it in analytics, that's not where people are landing anymore. So what does that mean now for our website? Well, there are two things that it means. So the first is that we need to think about the website being upside down. So people come into a website through other mechanisms. They're not going to the homepage. So you've seen the data. I've seen the data. A lot of people are seeing the data that the URL, the direct load URL, is no longer the case. What people should start to think about is how do you move from having a website to having an intent site? What do I mean by intent site? Yeah, what is it? So yeah, unpack that a little bit. What does that mean, an intent site? If people are looking for information, they're generally asking questions about something that they want to find. Okay. So if yep. it's about their healthcare, they're asking questions about their healthcare. What we see is that a question is a signal of an intent. An intent is I want to go, I want to do, I want to buy, I want to read, I want to engage, I want to book, I want to book an appointment. So Websites now need to be able to deliver answers to those questions without actually having somebody having to come to the website to do that. So we call it an intent site. So every single page within the website is a potential mini or micro homepage of the website. All right, so we've obviously seen a lot of iterations of Google and and, and SERP or search engine result pages, right? And so back in the day, uh, I can remember searching for things and there were no results. Mm -hmm. I remember (laughs) those days too. So we're long past that, certainly. But now I feel like at least we've gotten to a place where Google and and other search engines certainly don't want us leaving Mm -hmm. the result page. And so there's more and more information there, whether it's star ratings over the years, but the knowledge card or whatever Mm -hmm. that's called kind of on the right. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, like, what does that mean for us as as hospitals, especially as content creators, where historically, if you needed maps and directions, you had to click through to our Mm -hmm. website. You don't have to do that now. Yeah, it's a good question. The, um, The approach that Google and other search engines are taking now are largely around, like you said, keeping people on Google or keeping people on the search engine results page. So they anticipate what it is that you meant by what you were searching to then keep you on that page. So if I'm looking for a person and a person has one of those knowledge cards, 
then that person's phone number shows up on a knowledge card, the star ratings may show up on the knowledge card, a map of where the person is located, the address, places to navigate, pictures, images. So organizations need to start thinking about getting more of that information to those places. And how do you ensure that that information is correct and accurate? The other piece about it to think about too is that there was a recent study that came out about these zero-click searches. So people will search on Google and they'll search on Bing and they'll search on a, a lot of different search engines and they find exactly what they need without ever having to click. So technically speaking, these search engines are becoming largely more of the website itself, like the home pages yeah. itself. And so organizations need to start thinking about understanding that data and how to get that data out but then also making sure like the mini homepage concept of making sure that the website's not just a single piece of information that's out there about a, uh, an organization, but all of the different pages within the website. How do you make sure that that shows up in the search engine results page in case somebody's not looking at a knowledge card, but they want to click through and find the right information and they're coming in through a website via other means, not through the, the direct homepage itself. All right. So, um, we see the need for organizations to create this idea of a knowledge graph or uh, associating content, mm -hmm. obviously, or uh, helping people ultimately helping people find answers that they need. That is what Google has done, search engines mm -hmm. have done, as you've mentioned. Um, what does that mean, though, for like our content creation strategies and things like that? Mm -hmm. I mean, is, is, does that take us in a different direction, or what does that mean? It might. So there are two ways of looking at the knowledge graph. So you can look at the information that lives in the knowledge graph. And that is basically information that is connected to other pieces of information. So a doctor works in a particular location, specializes in certain conditions, accepts certain insurance. But what if that doctor also published certain pieces of research? What if that doctor also treats certain conditions where then you can build content off of those conditions? So you could think about the doctor's information in the graph and the relationships among all of those if somebody's searching for, does this doctor treat this particular condition and accept this insurance? But if somebody wants to know more about a particular condition, then how do you attach that condition to that doctor? So if somebody's researching the condition, then who treats those conditions? And then maybe it's five different doctors within the system. The other way of thinking about it is taking a look at the search data that an organization already has and starting to see, are people starting to search for things more now than they have been last month yep. or in two years ago or 12 months ago? And if you start to see trends there and you realize that you don't have the content, then that's an opportunity to create the content because maybe there's something there that people are being triggered by externally and they want to find out more. So you can add that to the graph and then that should generate more information and more results when people are asking the questions. And I think that's probably, it's what we historically did with focus groups, right? Like mm -hmm. in-person focus groups. We asked a bunch of questions. People gave us a bunch of answers. Well, that's what's happening now. I just don't know that we, focus group. yeah, we just don't think of it that way. Yeah. You know, people are telling us stuff yes. just continually. Always. We should use that to inform the content that we're creating or how we're structuring or building websites. Correct campaigns were running, yes. you know, uh, and things like that. So it makes a lot of sense. Yes. Just treat search as your focus group and you'll get automatic answers all the time.
obviously in healthcare have a number of different audiences that could be, um, it could be physicians, it could be employees, but in most cases we're talking about patients, potential patients, things like that from an acquisition mm-hmm. strategy. Um, should we think about search as it relates generationally any different? You know, I've heard you talk about, and it's really funny because we used to talk about this with, with social media and everybody thought that that was for the young kids, you know, <laughs> and, and you would look at Facebook and realize that the 55 plus was the fastest growing group mm-hmm. for most of these hospitals. What are we seeing in search kind of along those lines as, as it relates to generations? Mm-hmm. Anything in particular? Mm, I would say... We're not necessarily seeing age group related search differences. Mm -hmm. So everyone is going to search and I'm just going to put it out there. I have no data to actually back this up, but everyone's going to search to ask a question or to find information. So whether you're 82 and you're using an iPhone or you're 65 and you're using an iPhone or an iPad or you're 21 and you're also using a mobile device and maybe a voice device because it exists somewhere in your space. So no matter what, people are going and they're asking these questions. So you can't necessarily say that the 82-year-old is asking anything differently than the 21-year-old. That 21-year-old might be consulting a piece of technology far more than somebody who is older. What we do see, though, is some technologies are being adopted a little bit differently. So we saw in our data over the last 12 months or so is that there was a 29% increase year over year in people aged 65 and older on using voice devices to find oh, healthcare wow. information. Okay. So there are ways that we can understand how people are using the technology, but search in general, it's all about just think about the questions people are asking, think about the topics that they could be wanting to find more information, think about the intent behind it, and then being able to deliver the information rather than figure out the age brackets and what is specific yeah. to those brackets. Well, I think you, you mentioned voice, which I think is interesting because now we're going from, we wanted to be on the first page of Google mm-hmm. to the top half, to the first three, to like, now it's like the one. You need like, position like, zero is what it's, it's like, called. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> one response. That's it. Um, and that completely, I think, changes mm-hmm. what we've done historically, especially as it relates to metadata and some of that stuff that we're trying to get to the top of that first page. Right. Yeah, there's a, all, there's a whole technology behind how to try to get to that position zero. It's about structuring questions on the, the landing page itself in a certain way, about sentence, total number of sentences that answer the questions. It's about schema tagging on the back end of the page. It's about trying to figure out how do I bullet the results that I have in the answers to the questions so that Google can pick it up. So there are a lot of different ways of now thinking about how do you structure the website and the individual web pages within the site itself to be able to achieve that position zero. And you can't guarantee it. Google could change it tomorrow. I know. It's all, we're all dependent on Google and the algorithm. So, you know, we're talking about, and and I've heard you talk about the move from keywords to questions and people are asking questions, obviously online and those, um, uh, those Google queries are getting longer and longer, especially on average. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, how, you know, how, how should we start thinking about that as it relates to, um, you know, we, we, I guess we've thought about this as it relates to consumer-based service lines in a lot of cases, but are people searching in just different ways? Are they asking different? I mean, we've moved from 
uh, one or two words to the near me searches mm-hmm. to now these long queries, where, where does that kind of progress? Where does Ooh. that go? Where does it go? Well, it goes from historically doctor near me mm-hmm. to cardiologist near me to cardiologist who treats mitral valve repair to who is the best cardiologist near me who treats mitral valve repair to who is the best cardiologist near me who accepts Blue Cross, who is accepting patients on Tuesday at 2 p.m. to who knows where it could go. But what we see in the search data is every single one of those questions. So I had mentioned in the past that we have seen search queries that have been as long as 136 words long. Very, 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 very targeted searches. And people know that they can search today and find the answer that they need. And they know that if they get more and more granular, they should be able to get a better search result. So what we'll see is more searches will become more complex as long as people are getting good results. It'll keep feeding the system. Just keep refining. Mm-hmm.